Can anything good come from pain, addiction, disease, or darkness that resides within? Can we be transformed? Can we find new hope for what we think is hopeless? What would happen if we were awakened to an idea that begins the work of restoration? What if that idea began to mend us? This idea begins to transform our pain and hurt into something useful, something beautiful. It can be done. Our lives can be reclaimed. Hey, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Glad you're with us. Uh, let's just uh, say welcome to hello to everybody at all the campuses. Glad you're with us from wherever you are. Bel Air, Edmonton. We like to do that. Hey, wasn't last week uh, great uh, Easter? Did you enjoy the Easter time? Just being together and celebrating the resurrection was awesome. I just want to say thank you to, um, to everyone who helped pull it off. I think we ended up having like uh, uh, 24 different services at our four different campuses and over 14,000 people and just a lot of great stories of what God's doing through all that. And thank you to everyone who invited, went out of their way to invite a guest or a friend. Thank you for that. And if you're one of those people that you're kind of new, you maybe came last week and you're back this week, um, thank you for trusting that and, and being here with us. We're really glad you're here. We can't wait to kind of help you find your way along in this place, make it feel like home, and help you um, find a way to connect and make some friends so you can journey forward in your relationship with the God who still rolls stones. We are beginning this new series today, and I was trying to figure out the best way to start it, and I kept kind of imagining myself in a dumpster. So take a look. Why is Carla throwing this away? This is still good. This is bad. This, this is not trash. Isn't that trash? These are scrolls and binoculars. Oh, this could be a bracelet for Chase Boyer. guys, we're dumpster diving today, right? The dumpsters are so crazy because it's a place where, where garbage goes, right? This is for stuff that, that has outlived its purpose, and now it's not good for anything, and so you, you pitch it, right? But here's the thing. For the person who has the eye for it, who, who has the ability to kind of see potential in some of this old stuff, and who also has the ability and the skill this isn't trash, it's like raw material for something brand new, for something that can be good again, for something that can be really useful, maybe in a different way, for something that can even be beautiful. Now, I'm not much of an HGTV guy. I don't spend a lot of time on Pinterest or Etsy or any of that kind of stuff, but I do know this. I know that finding old stuff and reclaiming it and using it today is all the rage you know everybody's doing that like this old guy he had this barn he had to tear his barn down he did he's getting ready to throw all the wood away or burn it up or something and someone else says hey can I have that wood can, can I have that wood he's like sure gives him his wood guy takes the old barn wood and, he, and he's making signs and end tables and lamps out of them and selling them for like 200 bucks a pop right that's the idea of reclaiming something that someone thinks is no good anymore you know uh, there's this girl named Caitlin she recognized the homeless need in her community 
and uh, right here in Hartford County. And she's taking plastic bags and making mats and beds out of them, repurposing old trash bags. Carla's dad used to cut up 7-Up pop cans, and somehow he made airplanes out of them and hung them from the ceiling and gave them away as gifts. I don't know how he did it, but, but he did it. You know, there, there's, a, there's a guy that, that uh, has um, a bunch of old uh, water skis, and they're all broken down. Their bindings are busted. They're chipped. No good. He's ready to throw them away, but he said, wait a second. He takes those old water skis, and he uses them to make Adirondack chairs out of And now he and his wife, they sit on the shore in Minnesota, and they watch the next generation water ski with those old water skis. Uh, one of my favorite stories of Reclaimed is, is a family that had an old dinner table, but the legs were wobbly. They had to get rid of it. And, uh, uh, but they took, they took that, old, that old table and they cut cutting boards out of them. And everyone in their home has a cutting board from the old family dinner table. There's another family that had an old porch swing at Grandma's house. And they actually remember all those memories of swinging in that porch swing. Well, they had to sell Grandma's house, but they kept the porch swing and they made picture frames out of that porch swing and then they put pictures of them swinging with grandma in it and now they all have that in their house you see this is the idea of reclaimed something that's old and useless and ready for the trash heap dumpster but in the right hands with the right eye man it can be really repurposed for something good useful and even beautiful and you see this is what god does best Taking the parts, the pieces, and the places of our lives that seem like they're just no good anymore. They're too damaged or broken. They served their purpose, or maybe you're embarrassed or ashamed of them. And, and you would love to just get rid of that part of your life. But God says, let me get my hands on that. Can I have that? Will you give that to me? Because then he will, he will see something in it that we can't see. And he has the ability and, frankly, the power to do what we can't do. And that is to make something good out of that bad thing. To make something useful. To make something even beautiful. Once we turn it over into the hands of the master craftsman. God's like a dumpster diver. God's like the ultimate Etsy creative designer. And the craftsman who can take something and make it new again. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we want to do, is we want to surrender the parts of our lives. Think of the parts of your lives that you're really maybe embarrassed about. You would just as soon get rid of, or think of as trash or the damaged parts of your heart, your life, your experiences, and your background. And then we're going to turn them over to the Lord. And He's going to say, I've been waiting to get my hands on this, because I've got an idea of how I can use this in your life and for someone else's life to make something good and useful. I, I know God cannot wait to show you how he can make it and you and me remade, reclaimed, redeemed, restored, renewed, reclaimed. Let's get started. Okay, so let's get started. Indeed, we're calling it Reclaimed. And over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you not just to come back, but to be thinking of someone that you could bring with you. Uh, you probably have some friends that could really be helped by this. I think it's a game changer uh, for a lot of people. We're going to talk about um, the parts of our lives that need to be reclaimed, including things like, um, well, like family relationships and difficulties in homes and those kind of 
parts of our lives. We're going to talk about some of the difficulty with like our church. Some of us have a toxic sort of or odd church background, and we're going to talk about even reclaiming that. We're going to talk about um, some of the mental health challenges that are very real and present for people, anxiety and depression and so forth. We're going to talk about abuse. We're going to talk about a lot of things over the next few weeks, and I just encourage you to come on back. Today, we want to begin talking about how is it that God can reclaim our pain, our pain. I know a guy, his name's Joseph, uh, who experienced a lot of rotten things in his life, and some of you might be able to relate a little bit to him. Um, He's actually a character from the Old Testament. Uh, He was the youngest son, a guy named Jacob, who had a lot of sons, and he had fallen out of favor with his older brothers because they were jealous of him because, well, he was daddy's favorite, and one day he had this dream about how he told his brothers, oh, I have a dream that you're all going to bow down to me one day, and that's about all they need to hear. They've had enough of little brother Joey, and so they drag him out in the middle of the boonies, and they throw him down a pit, and they're going to leave him there to die, except, you know, you talk about a bad day. You thought you had a little family struggle. If, if you, anybody ever have any family tensions? You know a little bit about the pain that Joseph experienced. If you've ever been caught in the crosshairs of jealousy, where you were just doing your thing, and someone got all bent out of shape, he didn't do anything, but then you know a little bit about the pain that, that Joseph was experiencing. If you've ever had a God dream, and you, you really hoped that someone that you was important to you would support you in that, but instead they, they rejected you in it because of it, then you know something about the pain that Joseph experiences. If you've ever been abandoned by someone or rejected by someone that you just hoped would love you instead, then you know a little bit about the pain that Joseph is going through. His brothers had gone back to dad and said, uh, hey, uh, dad, we're really sorry to tell you, but little Joey's dead. He got eaten by a wild animal. They, they ripped up the robe and handed it to him as proof. And they think that's the end of it. Well, it wasn't the end of it because, you see, when he was out there, what they had done is they had sold him off. And jo- Joseph may think, oh, good, here comes somebody that's going to rescue me. Well, it wasn't good because the people who bought little Joey <laughs> were slave traders. And so now he's a slave. And they drag him away, far, far away, to a place uh, called Egypt in a strange land. And maybe you can relate to that, too. Maybe, maybe you've entered into a relationship with someone you thought was going to be awesome and it turned out to be not so awesome. Or you thought someone was going to be a savior and rescue you and in fact it just got worse. Or, or maybe you've felt trapped by something or someone in life or you've experienced some kind of bondage. Then you understand a little bit about the pain that Joseph's going through in his own life. Or maybe if you've ever been forced to move somewhere you didn't want to move. Or you found yourself as a strange stranger in a strange land, at a, at a new school, new job, new neighborhood, or a place where you didn't want to be, and you realize there's anxiety and stress in that. One thing leads to another in Joseph's life, and it just keeps getting worse. In fact, he ends up over there in prison, rotting away, locked up in a cell, one bad turn to another. And if any of you are like, wow, that's my life. Bad stuff keeps happening to me. You just described my life. Then you need to pay attention to, to this story because it's not quite the end of the story. Because all the way through there, God begins to open some doors and show some favor to Joseph. After a while, he does get a break. And, and eventually, he's sort of promoted right out of jail to the top administrative position in all of the land, to like right hand to the king of, of Egypt, the pharaoh. And the very thing that before had gotten him into trouble, having insight into dreams, becomes the vehicle God uses 
to bless him now because there's this dream that Pharaoh has and, and, and Joseph explains it and basically he says there's going to be seven years of famine uh, coming and there's going to be seven years of plenty right now. We better save up. And they go into this plan and, and they, they save up all the grain and this leads to a whole process that literally saves thousands and thousands of lives. Fast forward several decades later, his own brothers who have long since forgotten about Joseph and have given him up for dead are now desperate and starving to death and make their way to Egypt because they hear someone is storing up grain. And they find themselves in an ironic and providential twist, standing with their hat in their hand before their brother, begging for help. And the tide has turned because now the weak ones used to be the bullies, and the weak one is now in control. And in a poignant emotional scene, Joseph reveals who he is. I'm your brother Joseph, the one you gave up for dead. And they think, oh no, we're, we're undone now. He's going to get back. He's going to throw us in a pit. But Joseph doesn't because Joseph has been processing all this rotten stuff that's been happening in his life. And he's begun to recognize how God has been reclaiming some of it. And he says words that every one of us needs to hang on to when we're in pain. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Here it is. He says, you're right. You intended to harm me. You threw me in a pit. You tried to kill me. But God, but God, that changes everything, folks. But God intended it for good. God took the very thing you were going to use to hurt me and a bunch of stuff that was intended to harm me. But instead, but God uses it all to accomplish what is now being done for the saving of many lives. God has a way to twist things around. Remember, God is at work when you can't see God at work. And there's more to the story. And when your life isn't going according to plan and you just think, what is going on? One horrible thing after another. Remember, God can work out a new plan. And when you're going through it and you think this is just for the trash dumpster, remember God is going, wait, 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 I can use that. And you may not see what he's up to, but one day you'll see. In fact, this is, I think, what Romans 28, 28 is trying to get at. A verse that you ought to have starred and checked in your Bible, and a lot of us love so much. Romans 8, 28, Paul says, and we know, we know because we know God. This is our anchor of our faith. We know this. What do we know? We know that in all things. What things? Hello, what? All things, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. God is at work in, in, in all things. In what things? In some things, in certain things, in happy things, in the, in the good things. No, God is at work in all things. Everything that happens in your life, even the pain, can be reclaimed and reworked and refashioned to work out even for good because God is at work in all things. That means the hard things, the hateful things, the hurtful things. God is at work in those things. God is at work in your unanswered prayers. God is at work in you get injured. You, 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 you're, you're in bed, uh, you know, with your, your back against the wall. You go bankrupt. God is at work in all those things. You go through a divorce, harmful, but God intends to use that for good. You, you go through depression or anxiety or there's good, there's good things, there's bad things, there's happy things, there's sad things. But God is at work in all things and that means he's at work in your things. Some of you are still like, yeah, well, you don't know about my thing. I've got a different thing. My thing's a thing thing. It's a real thing. You don't know about my thing. It's like God is at work in all things. He's at work in your thing. 
I, I'm, uh, I'm not much of a baker, but I'm pretty good at eating stuff, and which is why Carla and I have a really good gig. Um, so I, I don't know. She makes this thing called a chocolate eclair. I'm telling you, it's, it's enough to make a grown man cry. It is, it's, uh, it's awesome. But I don't know how she makes it exactly, but when I see it, it's like, first, I know there's like a stick of butter. And like when I, when I want a snack, I'm not going to grab a stick of butter and like, ah, awesome, you know, no. But she just throws it in the bowl. And then, and, then, and then there's like some sugar. Now, I like sugar, you know, but I'm not going to eat a whole cup of it. It'll make you sick, but she just throws it in the bowl. And then there's like other stuff, like, like flour. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, flour, mom, nom, 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 nom. No, 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 but flour's not good. But, but she just throws it in the bowl. And there's all this other stuff, like, like baker's chocolate and vanilla. You ever drunk vanilla? Like, it smells good in a candle, but it's not good for, a, you know, a little drink. Raw eggs, whatever. Just for all these ingredients that by themselves are rather unpleasant and not desirable go into this thing and the mixes it all up comes up with this gooey substance called batter and I do like to lick the bowl after the batter but I don't want to eat a whole gallon of batter but then here's the deal she takes all that stuff puts it in the pan it goes 350 degrees and the heat is on and right and the fire starts up and the red hot oven does its work she put it in the fire and if that cake could talk it'd say hey get me out of here it's so hot in here i'm dying because what the cake doesn't know is that it's not just being cooked it's being created it's it's not just being destroyed it's being developed it's not being ruined it's being reclaimed and remade into something new in which he takes it out of there oh trust me it's beautiful you'd be glad you stick around some of you are going through something right now and you feel like man i'm getting fried I'm getting cooked. You're feeling the heat in your life right now. And you just, I just want to remind you, God is at work in all things. Working together. He's up to something. You can't see it, but he's cooking something. He's going to take those random pieces, ingredients of your life that you think are no good and awful. It's like, this is butter. I hate butter. Just put it in the bowl. Ugh. Baker's chocolate. I hate what's going on. Put it in the bowl. Why? Because, but God, but God, that's why. Because we know, we know who God is. And we trust Him. And He's up to something. So you take your disappointments and you take your pain and that family crisis and, and put it in the bowl. You take that physical pain, you take your fear, your kid's got a problem, put it in the bowl. Doesn't make it all go away, but it's going to go in the bowl. That job stress, grandkid acting up, I'm single. I, I got this sexual identity struggle. I got this horrible trauma. I got this insecurity. All that stuff. Just put it in the bowl. Mix it up. And he puts it in there. And you go through the fire sometimes. And because he is good, it's going to come out good. Because God works all things together for good. He's not going to bake you. He's going to make something beautiful out of it. He's not just cooking you. He's going to create something. So whatever it is. God even did this with Jesus on the cross, y'all. Think about it. The worst thing we could do to him, the most bitter tasting thing that could happen to him, happened to him. And yet through all those pieces of rejection and abandonment and whipping and asphyxiation, God took all of that and brought it out and gave us our salvation. And if he can do that with a busted up cross and a crown of thorns, he can do it with your pain. I know another guy. His name is Paul. 
And Paul, you might recognize, as the great apostle from the New Testament, the globetrotting missionary who changed the world. And God blessed him with so many things, eloquent speaker, great education, huge influence and experiences with God that no one else seemed to have. And yet there was something in Paul's life that he asked God to get rid of that God would not take away. Can anybody relate? Yeah, God's blessed me, but there's this thing. That's Paul. And he begged God to remove it, to heal it, to fix it, to change it, to make it stop. And God didn't. Paul thought it was trash. God says, I'm, I'm going to reclaim that. And here's what Paul learned that we all need to learn. Friends, listen, there is a purpose to your pain. There is a purpose to your pain. God can use it. And he intends to, he intends to use it. If you'll allow it. When, when you're lifting weights and it's like, it hurts, it hurts. It's not trying to destroy you. It's trying to develop you. So you keep going through the pain in order to develop you. If you keep at it, you'll look like me. <laughs> Maybe a bad analogy. You see what I'm saying? Not every pain is bad. It doesn't always harm you. It may help you, but it may feel the same. And when you know there's a purpose to your pain, it, it, it changes everything. In the right hands, it doesn't have to make you bitter. It can make you better. And you get to decide. God says, I can use that to produce something good. So there's some things in our life some of us have been blaming on the devil. Okay, maybe where it came from, but guess what? God says, I can use that for my purposes. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Now, make note here. Paul is not saying God sent this pain. He is not saying God caused this pain or he orchestrated things in my life, so now I'm going through a rotten time. I, I suppose God does sometimes discipline us, but that is not what is going on here. Rather, this stuff comes into your life because we live in a sin-infested world, stupid choices we make, or just the devil torments us, whatever you want to say, wherever it comes from, and God says, don't despair. I know it's butter, but I can still use it. I can reclaim that, and there is a purpose to your pain. So Paul, Paul had these beautiful visions. He says, I, handed, I ascended to the third heaven, whatever that means, and I was used by God in amazing ways, and he's got all this awesome blessing. But he says, there was this thing that God would not take away from me, and, and I think he did it to keep me grounded to his grace. And he doesn't name what it was, because if he did, we, it would probably be so specific, maybe we couldn't relate. So he doesn't even tell us what it is, because now we can all relate. All he says is that you got your own, and, and here's how he refers to it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, he's looking back now, he sees the, re the purpose for his pain. He says, I was given, it's a gift, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Ouch! It didn't feel good. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Those things sound horrible. And yet he calls it a gift because he recognizes now the purpose. He says, I was so proud, I don't know what would have happened to me. I, I, I recognize now I needed that thorn. And looking back, all he knew at the time was that it hurt and he wanted it to stop. And he begged God and was mad at God because God wouldn't do what he wanted him to do. Now looking back, he says, oh, there was a purpose I couldn't see at the time. And now so much closer to God as a result. Back when I was a youth pastor, uh, I was dating this girl named Carla. I would try to think of things that kids could do that she could come along on. That was a way to be like a cheap date. 
So we went to an amusement park and got all the kids on the rides. And it's like, oh, I guess it's just you and me. You want to go on the ride? I loved going on the roller coaster because you know why? It was scary and it would incite fear. And so we'd sit there and you go dipping, you go turning, you go dipping. And every time we go to the turn, she'd scream, oh, you move a little closer. <laughs> go around a corner. And go, oh, we're going to die on this one. Oh, whoo, slide a little closer. And you can see where she's sitting today. I was glad to take her on that ride because I knew if the ride got bad enough and she got scared enough, she wouldn't stay where she was. She would just kind of slide my direction. And things worked out for me. Friends, I know life is taking some of us on a wild ride right now. And, and your perspective is probably very much like, I just want off. I'm not having fun. I don't like this feeling. And I wonder if maybe God's just saying to you, maybe you just slide on over a little bit. Because that's exactly what that pain can produce in your life. You ever notice how sometimes it's the hardest times in our life where we feel closest to God, where we finally admit that we need him, where we can't solve everything by ourselves, when you're back against the wall, when you're lying in bed, when you're just staring up at the sky and you're absolutely without any resources. Now, suddenly you're like, okay, God, let's talk. He knows that, and you know that, and I know that, and we all know that. Maybe there's some of us that, we're spending a lot of energy begging God to take away the thorn, and he's just saying, just slide on over. Because if you try to do it all on your own, it's not going to happen that way. I'm going to leave that pain there a little while. You slide on over to get you back in a space called grace where you can remember how much you need me. When, when God reclaims your pain, it means he can use it. And I, I believe he's going to use it maybe in one of three ways. He wants to use your pain... Maybe he's going to use it to draw you to himself so you have a tighter dependence and relationship than you would have without the pain. And you'll be better off if that happens. Or if he's not going to draw you, maybe he's going to grow you, to grow you in your strength of character, to grow you in your faith, to grow you in some depth as a human being that you would not know except that you experienced that pain. Or he might use it to show you someone or some way that you can help or bless or minister to someone else that you could not have had you not gone through the pain yourself. He's going to use your pain and reclaim it. He's going to use it to draw you to himself, to grow you in your faith, to, draw, to, to show you someone or some way that you can minister to someone else. He's going to use your pain to reclaim it in one of those three ways, to draw you, grow you, or show you. Draw you, grow you, or show you. So what's he, what's he going to be able to do with your pain? What are you going to let him do with your pain? A lot of you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata. She was, in Maryland, she was a Maryland girl when she was 17 years old. She dove in the lake and broke her neck, paralyzed, quadriplegic, neck down. But the reason a lot of us know who she is is because as a result of that, it catapulted her not only so close to Jesus, but out of that came a writing ministry, a painting ministry, and a ministry to disabled and, and, and uh, physically challenged uh, people all over the world. She says, man, that was a horrible accident, and as a result, I couldn't walk, and that's, that's bad. But as a result of that, thousands and thousands of more people walk with Jesus today because of it. I wouldn't change it for the world. That's an example of how God reclaims our pain. James was a guy who had it all together, a young dad, and things were going great, except his alcohol had a hold of him, and he wouldn't admit it. And his wife finally said, that's enough. Something's got to change. You're going to church, you're going to AA, you're doing something. Well, he chose church because he thought it sounded like the least invasive, uh, harm, harmless approach he could take. Boy, was he wrong. 
He showed up at Mountain here, and God completely wrecked his life in a good way. And today, he's not drinking. He's close to Jesus. He's raising those kids in the Lord. But it took, it took an ultimatum from a nagging wife, a thorn in his side, and an addiction that he could not kick on his own to get him where he needed to be. God is going to use your pain and reclaim it to draw you, to grow you, or to show you. That's what he's going to do. There's a mountain family that told me about a time that um, one of their, when their kid was, was born, was born with Down syndrome, and they were brokenhearted. They thought, why, God? Now they just laugh when they look back on that time in their life because they, they love that kid so much. He's such an awesome part of their family. He's brought so much joy and taught them so much about, about um, love and kindness and patience. And when they look back, they say, we wouldn't change one chromosome of our story. But they didn't know it at the time. There's another couple in our church that struggled for a long time with infertility. And for a long time, it just every time they saw another couple with a baby, it just broke their heart and it was like a taunt and accented the pain. But through that process, they began to connect to each other and realize they needed to draw closer to the Lord and that He would be enough for them. And they have a relationship with the Lord today they never would have had. And they prayed for God to take away that thorn. He never did. But it did lead them to adoption. And today as they hold those three kids in their laps... They're like, I can't imagine my life without this. But it took that pain. God's going to draw you, grow you, or show you. My friend G went through the lowest time of his life when he had to go through alcohol rehab. He's a professional. He's well-known. It was embarrassing. It was expensive. It was awful. It was hard. It was, he, he hated every minute of it. And yet he came out clean and sober, and he's functioning again. And now, when his daughter just recently had to go into rehab for an eating disorder. He says, I shudder to think how I would have responded to her had I not gone through. Now I have empathy and understanding. I, I, I get addiction, and it's bonded us together, and she's going to make it because I made it. And see, God uses everything. He's going to grow you, draw you, show you. I don't know what he's going to do. Paul Paul says, I was given this gift. Back in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. I was given a gift. Didn't look like a gift. He opened it up and it was a thorn. Sometimes you get stuff and it sure doesn't feel much like a gift. It hurts. But he's learned to see it as a gift. We don't know if it's a sickness, a temptation, or a physical problem, or being hassled by people. But that thorn, he calls it a messenger of Satan. And he says it was sent to torment him. How can something that was used of the enemy be a blessing? How in the world? How can we refer to it as a gift? The devil's intention was to torment him. Here's the thing. God took what the enemy meant to torment him and used it to transform him. And that's what God does. He takes tools of torment and he makes them into tools of our transformation. Sometimes God will use some no's in your life to lead us to a greater yes. And so Paul says in verses 8 through 10, he follows up there. Here's what he says. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. It's trash. But each time God said, ah, no, what you need is my grace. I'm going to leave it because my power actually works best when you're weak. So I'm going to leave you weak for a little bit. And then he goes on to say, so now he says, I'm actually glad. I'm going to brag about my weaknesses, about my thorn, about my problem. Why? Because that's how the power of Christ can really work through me. I'm not working on my own power. I'm weak. So now 
the power of Christ comes. That's why I take pleasure. I actually take joy in my pain, in my weaknesses, and the insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles, and everything I suffer for Christ. Because when I'm weak, that's when I am strong. God uses some no's to lead to a greater yes. He says, I'm going to just leave this thorn there, this problem in your life long enough so that you will slide on over, get close to me. You'll experience a grace you never would have known. You'll experience a strength you'll never experience. You'll, you'll be able to look back and say, I see it now. But in the meantime, you just trust him that he's reclaiming. He's up to something. There's a purpose to your pain. Let me leave you with a couple of key words. Stick in our minds as we think about our pain. Number one, surrender. Surrender your pain. Because if you hold on to it or you hide it or you try to handle it on your own, well, then you're just going to get bitter, not better. But if you surrender your pain into the hand of the master craftsman, so in the middle of your pain, you're praising him. You're trusting him. You're worshiping his name. You're not like, well, God's not doing what I want. I'm, not, I'm mad. I'm not going to church anymore. It's like, well, you're not getting it. That's not how this works. You, you surrender your pain to the Lord, and you offer in trusting humility. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I wish I could see it. I don't get why you don't let me in on the plan. You can say all that you want to, but you also know this. I, God, I know you're at work, and the devil's not getting the last word on this one, and I'm going to surrender this pain. What pain do you need to surrender to the Lord so you can quit worrying about it and trust God with it? Jared and Sarah Fox had their third child recently. Miles Patrick Fox has arrived. He's here uh, April 13th. There's a couple pictures of Miles Patrick. Pretty good-looking guy. Looks like his mother. Um, I'll be completely honest, I, I have never actually given birth myself. So, but from what I understand, it's quite an ordeal, according to some people. Um, not so easy for, for some people. As someone said to me, you want to know what it's like? It's like taking your bottom lip and stretching it up over your face and holding it there. While someone says, would you like ice chips? <laughs> yeah, it's hard pushing a bowling ball into the world. It's hard. It's risky. It's scary. The baby can die. Mama can die. And that husband's going to die. And she grabs him in the middle of a contraction and says, you did this to me. And in the middle of the pain, a lot of women have said things like, we are never doing this again. Because it hurts so much. But when they cut that cord and place that baby on her belly, and he begins to nuzzle, and she, or she begins to open her eyes, and that fuzzy head is there, and the cooing happens, and then she looks at mom. And then they go home, and then she dresses them, and then they read stories, and then they begin to eat, and they begin to dream about the future before long. She's saying, honey, what about another one? And the Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy he could see at the end of the process, after all of the delivery, he endured the cross. He went through the process of delivery for our salvation, for the joy that was before him. And that's the same process we've got to have in our head. And remember, as everything's going on, that, that you've got some stuff happening, but it is in the middle of the worst of our pain that God births some of his best stuff. And so, as you're struggling, and you feel like, I don't want to do this anymore. And the contractions are killing you and you think you're going to die. You just keep pushing and trusting and breathing and realize that for the joy set before you, you can get through this as well. And God's going to birth something out of it. Let me ask you a question. What pain do you need to surrender to God so he can produce, so he can birth something out of it?
but you got to surrender it. If you're holding it, hiding it, or handling it, you're not surrendering it. We like to do this together around here. And so that's why we have all these groups and opportunities for people to come together. So a bunch of the care groups right now that you could sign up for, chronic illness, support group, grief share, you lost someone close to you, distress from abortion, loss of a spouse, there's a seminar May 5th, loss of a child, addiction support for alcohol, food, gambling, and other stuff. We've got to do this together. What do you need to surrender to God so we can birth or produce something beautiful out of it? That's the first word. Second, second word, second word I want to leave you with is the word surrender. Excuse me, that was the first word. How about the second word? Nobody caught me on that. You're like, okay, sounds the same as the first word. <laughs> the second word is remember. Remember where this is going. Okay? Remember where this is going. Here's what I mean by that. God, God has a big old plan, and it is not just to reclaim your personal private pain. God has a massive, global, universal, cosmic reclamation project that is already underway. And God is reclaiming the entire planet, moving us, the scriptures say, toward a new heaven and a new earth, making all things new. He's not just reclaiming your life or my life. He's reclaiming the whole aching planet, the whole groaning earth, all this sin-infested, messed-up, sin-broken part of the world around us that we all ache and say is ready for the dumpster. God is saying, oh, no, no, we're going back to Eden again. It's going to be shalom, the Bible calls it, peace and deep harmony between you and God, between you and me, between us and the planet, where Isaiah 11 says the lion will lie down with the lamb, and we'll be all together. Everything broken is being undone and put back together again. Revelation 21 says there's a new heaven and a new earth and we'll see it. We'll dwell with God. He'll be with us. We'll be with him and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more crying, no more sorrow, and no more death and no more pain. You got to remember that's where we're going. Keep it in your head. Keep it in your heart. The one who sits on the throne says, see, I'm making all things new. I'm a reclaimer. I'm a dumpster diver. And even every part of this planet is being transformed. He's baking a big old cake. And you've got to remember that. And say, here's the deal. If you do, if that's real to you, like not some theology, but it's real in your heart, it'll change everything about how you live and how you hold on to your life now, how you handle your pain, how you look at your problems. And every time you start to lose something, Lose a little cash, lose a little time, lose a little money, lose a little bit of hair, lose a little bit of health, lose your life. You don't have to panic and be devastated and destroyed because, you know, this is not all there is. Without the hope of a new heaven and a new earth, you're going to be devastated and panic every time. But if you remember where this is going because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you handle your pain completely differently. Remember that Johnny Erickson Tata I told you about, paralyzed from the neck down? She was at a conference one time, and the guy said, hey, everyone get on your knees, let's pray together. And everyone bowed together on their knees, and she just began to cry, couldn't stop crying, not because of self-pity, like, oh, I can't kneel like them, but because it was so beautiful, it was like heaven. And she said, you know what? I was reminded when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want with my new resurrected body. I'm going to jump up, I'm going to dance, I'm going to do aerobics, I'm going to hop around, and the first thing I'm going to do in my new resurrected legs is to bend down and kneel at the feet of Jesus. 
with her new body. And she says, I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, I will one day have a new body, light and bright, righteous and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope of the resurrection given to someone like me with a spinal cord injury? Friends, listen to me right now. There is no other religion, there is no other philosophy, there's no other worldview on the planet or throughout all of history other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of his resurrection that will ever give you the enormous hope that we have in Jesus Christ when you talk about the hope of the resurrection and that hope of what's coming and you remember that it infuses the present right now. It changes how you look at your pain. I know I'm going to have a new body someday. God's going to reclaim everything, everything that's broken and sin infested. I'm going to dance. If you're lonely, you'll be, you'll be filled. If you're sick, you'll, you won't be sick. If, if you're empty, you'll be satisfied. If you weep, you'll be joyful. God is reclaiming everything. And the same scars that the disciples saw when Jesus hanged on the cross, they were like, those are symbols of our ruin. He came back and resurrected and said, look at these things. And now they were just reminders of everything he'd come through and how sweet it was. And you'll do exactly the same. Whatever scars you got now, one day they're just war stories. Remember where we're going. God, thank you for the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he is making all things new, including our little lives and this old planet. In the meantime, God, help us to throw everything we've got, all the pain and the problems, into the mixing bowl so you can do something amazing with it. Birth something beautiful in us. We pray through our pain. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh,